0: Welcome to episode 19 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality today. I'm your host, Matt Morley, and in this episode, we're talking to Stanton Wong in China. He's the president of Reset, a data-driven business that harnesses technology to monitor buildings from a health perspective. We discussed the differences between the concepts of green buildings in the west and healthy regenerative buildings in Asia, the surge in interest in air quality around the world post-pandemic, how the materials used in building construction and fit-outs connect with and impact indoor air quality, how to create biomimetic indoor spaces that behave more like an outdoor space and the importance of high-quality data collection around air, water, energy and waste in benchmarking healthy buildings, which is basically what Reset are all about. Sandton is a super bright guy with a background in computer science. He's now at the helm of an organization that just seems to be in the right place at the right time. Check out reset.build to learn more about their air quality standard, which is the, the first standard that they've launched with. You can email me at mail at mattmorley.net with any comments or suggestions, and please consider subscribing for automatic download of future episodes. Nada más. here's Stanton Wong from Reset. Stanton, awesome to, to be with you here today. Uh, let's jump into it. Why don't you give us a quick intro to your personal background and your career path to becoming president of Reset?
1: Hi, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm, my name is Stanton. Uh, I'm currently the president of Reset. Um, in terms of career path, it's been a little bit windy, but I think it, it makes perfect sense on why I'm here right now. I am a computer science major, so I have a tech background. My first jobs were all computer science and software development related. Um, I was visiting Shanghai, which is where um, one of our offices are in, Um, that's where my mother's from. So I was visiting Shanghai. I met Rafer, and then I really liked what they were trying to do. They were essentially trying to um, look at how technology can affect and um, figure out how to monitor and learn about building behaviors. So I joined in from the technology side and then tried to help build the product around it. And um, gradually, I took on more responsibility until I'm now... The president.
0: Good on you. Well, you you've touched on it there, but I mean, I, I, I've been going through this process myself, as as I mentioned to you, of of you know studying your your reset air, and and it's one of the things that's really come through is that sort of that data driven approach. But you know, another thing that's been immediately stood out for me was was some of the content with the the study materials around the difference between let's say green and healthy. So you kind of have this. Mm, dichotomy in the market at the moment right between or is there there's there's green buildings and there's healthy buildings and there's green and healthy buildings and and there was just one comment in some of the pieces that you've published online around how with China's 5,000 year history of regenerative medicine perhaps you know it's sort of a different terminology or different way of thinking about that I just found that was that was a really fresh approach so how did you how did you introduce that idea into this this sector?
1: So when our our initial, because we came from a Western background, our company, um, our initial thinking was green buildings, because that's traditionally what we've talked about. When we were pushing the idea in China, it was not very strongly received. And it was because traditionally, it, the environment, the concept of green just wasn't part of the consideration. But very strongly part of the consideration was health and well-being in general, just for that um for the average person so once we started talking more about um what a healthy building is for occupants inside there was a lot more interest in understanding what that meant so um when we once we started doing a few more talks and presentations we realized that at least in china the concept of health is a much stronger cell in terms of uh, a concept than it than it is green
0: and you've also introduced the idea of um, this wonderful word, biomimetic. So you, you describe the yeah. reset approach as being biomimetic, which is essentially, if I've understood correctly, inspired by, by by natural evolution. Would that would that be right? And then how do you connect yep. that with the idea of of monitoring data? Because they can feel like two quite different concepts, right? So sort of nothing yeah. more natural versus something entirely tech based.
1: Yeah. So this word really started when we were exploring how we wanted to approach air. Uh, I want to give a bit of a background first. We didn't actually start with air quality per se. We were starting with materials. And when we were doing um, research into materials and just the data behind it, we were building calculators that would basically look at the TVOC data from certifications of materials and then try to... Calculate how much TVOC offgassing would occur within a certain space, depending on materials we used. We realized that no matter how many versions of the calculator we went through, they were never accurate. And then at the exact same time, we were discovering um, that there were mo- uh, monitor air quality monitor manufacturers that were developing monitors that were within a price range that felt very reasonable. And so we transitioned to looking at what would. Um, what would air quality like if we were just monitoring air quality would we get a better uh would we get better data so that's that's how it started and then the biomimetic biomimetic uh biomimetic part is is from the concept that we um our founder rafer wallace he grew up in an area that was next to a lake and in a forest. So that's that's the environment that he lived in. And we were thinking we spend so much time indoors, how can we create an indoor space that felt more like an outdoor space? Outdoor spaces they're they're constantly changing depending on what's happening around, right? So so trees are constantly sensing the temperature, the humidity, the birds are sensing everything. You hear the birds depending on what's happening with the weather. So like you're getting a lot of feedback. But in an interior space, typically, it feels a lot more dead because your, your mechanical systems aren't automated. A lot of it's, you know, someone clicks a button and it starts or stops. That's kind of what the traditional indoor space is like. So our thinking was, how can we create a space that felt more like an outdoor space by getting data that's collected to mimic or automate certain aspects of interior spaces to be more similar to outdoor spaces? Which then
0: kind of connects you with with my my favorite subject of biophilic design, which is exactly the, the same concepts, but well how can you how can you do that through the physical space and the materials and perhaps the sounds or the sense that you're you 're playing with in that room so the biomimetic, biomimetic approach is then about okay capturing that data and uh, okay as I understand it then. You, you've got this air quality situation in Shanghai that's obviously one of the worst in the world. And that's clearly a huge background piece to all of this that's going on, right? So you're then from materials, you switch into air and start focusing more on that and create what is effectively a data standard and certification piece around air quality, which is your first step forward into this into this world still, would that be fair mm-hmm. to say? Okay, yep. but then like what, what comes next, like beyond that, like how are you then because materials are coming back round, that seems to be like your next product or service coming to the market.
1: Yeah, so so I think what we've discovered for ourselves in the past couple of years is that the direction we wanna take is um, data-driven and performance-driven. So just, we wanna look at what can data give us to help empower better solutions. Um, we've, we haven't focused Internally on solutions, what we want to do in the future is highlight more of the different solutions that are being implemented. Our focus is to standardize the data collection aspect so that um, projects can be compared against each other. We can leverage uh, larger sets of data to understand how different projects perform compared to others. And um, uh, basically, we want to do a lot of benchmarking. So air quality is where we started at with we're going to go into materials again. I'll leave that for the last piece because it's a little bit more different. But um, from a continuous monitoring perspective, we want to go into water, energy, and waste. So with water and energy, I think it's relatively simple. It's really just continuous monitoring instead of having a monthly um, like paper trail of how much energy or water was used. We want to have it continuous. And the reason behind that is because Uh, we actually had clients asking about how does our air quality and HVAC system uh, compare against our energy usage? And once you have that data layered on top of each other, you can start comparing and seeing how can we potentially save energy while maintaining good air quality? Because good air quality doesn't mean you have to clean the air 100%. It's making sure that it maintains a certain level of air quality. So for example, if you have an empty office space, you don't need to have fresh air systems on 24-7. You only need to turn that on when um, there is there are people in the space and it's the CO two levels are getting higher. For example, PM two point five filtration doesn't have to be on the whole time unless there's actually um, a higher level of PM two point five in the air. So those kind of concepts start coming coming into play, and we realize that there probably is a lot of intersection between data uh, in different as in the different um, categories. So uh, for energy or waste or water. There's probably something that can be compared. So we're interested in setting a standard for collecting the data initially, and then we will do research into how we can cross-reference it some more.
0: So in the sort of basic terms, obviously you've got the the type of the HVAC system, which is, if you like, the the sort of the the, the middleman between the indoor air that we're breathing in a building and the type of outdoor air that's coming in. So we touched on it briefly at the beginning, but I did just want to ask that like, the idea of, you know, clearly location. When when you get a project coming in, it's like, okay, if you don't know where the location is and you don't know what the you don't know what your benchline outdoor air quality is, like that's clearly got to from your perspective, let me be neutral on that, from your perspective, like how much of a role is that playing? Like if you're in central Shanghai and you've got another one of these dark clouds floating around, like that's surely there's got to be so much more work to do to ensure. Good quality baseline indoor air quality or is it just something that these hVAC systems can 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 handle as long as they're they're fully equipped and spec for that type of work
1: yeah so th- this is a very great this is a really really good question what we've discovered is that traditional hVAC systems the all-in ones they're not a very good fit for this kind of situation so I'll give an example one of the reasons we started separating corn shell and commercial interiors is because there is two different there's two different roles one is the central hvac system cornshell is the property owner controlling the central uh, hvac system that includes fresh air systems and then commercial interiors is typically tailored to the actual tenant or occupant space the in the occupant space you want the air to be clean no matter what so but you don't actually have control over the central hvac typically you you ask um, the landlord to turn, like, you need more fresh air or something, they'll help you figure something out. But it's not instantaneous. They have to configure something. It's not automatic. So um, what we've discovered is, at least for PM 2.5, um, there's now a lot of single units that you would install uh, in your occupant space, like in the ceiling. Um, uh, I, for some reason, I can't remember the term for it, like in-ceiling units. Where, yeah the, the, uh, the recirculation ones right you yeah You're yeah, not having the
0: portable ones you don't want the, like the portable carry around ones you want them installed in the ceiling
1: correct because we want it to be automated we don't want it to be something where people are pressing to turn it on and off because it's it should be more natural and when it's installed in the ceiling you can have the tubing um have the intake be on one side and the out the the outtake be on the other side so that there's actually more circular motion uh air motion. So it cleans the air better than a unit that's sitting on the ground and just trying to clean the air around it.
0: Which is uh, already what we're seeing almost this kind of like this, this sort of knee jerk reaction to, um, yeah, I am mean, seeing it in, in crazy places where, you know, go to the physiotherapist and, uh, clearly they haven't got enough ventilation in there. You can see that the HVAC system is really just, just not doing what it needs to be doing. And they've got like one solitary, uh, floor fan if you want to call it that trying to do yeah. the work of of the system so and, and and that places us in the context of what's happening around us right so like how have you know we're in the middle of a of an airborne pandemic and like how has this impacted what you're doing or do you just feel like now actually it's it's finally you're getting more the attention the attention that that the your work deserves and that you just need to speed it up and that maybe you're able to grow and expand over the next year or two.
1: I think the pandemic has definitely generated a lot more interest in air quality. Previously, I mean air quality has always been relatively invisible. Aside from temperature and humidity that you can feel, most other things it's people can say, "Oh, CO2 levels very high." You don't know it, but you might feel like dizzy or sleepy, etc. You just you feel it, but you don't have any numbers to uh leverage to understand what's actually happening. So, by having monitoring, it helps you start understanding your space, the air in the space, and all that stuff. Um, last year, while the pandemic was kind of really serious, we were doing research into how um, the metrics that we're monitoring affect how um, affect how easily it is to transmit uh, aerosol viruses uh, through the air, and we actually did come up with an equation looking through a uh, hundred different research papers on viral transmission that leverages temperature, humidity, PM2.5, and CO2 on the pot, like on if you were optimizing a spit, like optimizing interior space on these parameters, uh, what would it need to be to have, to be perfectly optimized? So obviously if you optimize it perfectly, it doesn't prevent viral transmission 100% because if one person comes in with the virus and they cough on somebody, the building can't do anything about that. But at least you're maintaining a system that lowers the chance of virus viral survivability and improves immune system, like human immune system, so that you're at the strongest to defend against it. So, so that's something that we've been playing with, and we're trying to figure out how to make that more available. But um, generally, I think with the pandemic, a lot more people are aware of the importance of air quality and um, are looking into how they have how they can have more control over it.
0: Because the you know the, we're talking about COVID, but you know the concept, the underlying concept and principles behind it are are airborne diseases, right? And and mm-hmm. that's a constant. But then, so that's one factor in terms of of why indoor air quality is so important. But like from your perspective, what would be the other and and possibly you know it's not something that many of us think about. But what would be the other possible sources beyond outdoor air and airborne viruses or diseases that other things within an indoor environment that could cause pollution or that might be damaging or lowering the quality of the air in, a, so let's say, an office building?
1: Yeah, I think the most common is the material choice. So where where we started was materials. Um, and materials is not where you would generate PM25, but VOCs is the big thing. So um, a lot of most offices have like a period where they're flushing out the air, right? And the assumption is that uh, most materials will off gas all their VOCs within a week or two, and then you're done. The unfortunate thing is it depends on the material and it depends on the temperature in the space. So for example, if certain glues, if they're not high quality, it's possible for them to off gas for a long, long time or certain varnishes as well. Um, At the same time, if, for example, it's a really hot day. It's 40 degrees indoor when the sun is shining and before the air conditioning turns on. That can affect um, how stable the varnish is and lead to off-gassing, right, a year or two afterwards. So, so if you don't have good material choice, it's very possible that you're, you're in an interior space that's relatively toxic, especially if there's not enough fresh air coming in to dilute the VOCs in the air and so we're talking so, about
0: yeah. varnishes, glues, paints, um possibly the carpet, uh fabrics used or even the stuffing inside furniture such as sofas and things. These are all potential sources of, of volatile organic compounds, right, which is Correct. Uh, we mustn't be just dis- like uh distracted by the organic word. These are negatives. Not all of them are harmful, but some of them are and if those levels rise too high then the impact of that on us is what would be some of the symptoms then of of a typical like sick building that we might recognize but not have known the sources of?
1: So if you're getting um, if you're getting headaches or you're feeling like your throat is uncomfortable and itchy, those are very simple and basic symptoms of breathing air that's not great. Um, so yeah, those are those are probably the most obvious ones. With a lot of VOCs, you're going to smell it as well. So a lot of... When you're entering a newly referred, um, newly furnished space, you're going to smell something. A lot of... Like, in China at least, pregnant women, um, once they smell that, they're immediately telling their, their company that they're not working in the office. So... Because they know that that can have actually long-term detriment to their baby as well. It's possible. And it's not a risk they want to take. So... Is a lot of these effects from air quality is much more longer term, and it's not obvious right away.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And so if we were, let's say, if you if you were to take a project that was in a rural location, then, or or say, a yacht in the middle of the sea, you might think that the indoor air or the yeah the outdoor air quality coming into the building passing through the the air conditioning system would be well what could be better right but then materials if you've if you've stuffed that that indoor space whether it's a, a residential building or or a commercial building with materials that are bringing in uh, off gases or that are producing off gases then you're you're potentially Creating a situation whereby the indoor, the outdoor air quality is really quite good. It's fresh air. There's, there's no mm-hmm. industrial use nearby, etc. But you've got a, a reduced quality of indoor air because of the off gases being produced by your furniture, glues, and paints and varnishes.
1: Yep. So indoor air is almost always worse than outdoor air um, because of the way that we've built our our world. Um, this the indoor air issue wasn't nearly as much of an issue for our ancestors because we didn't have such enclosed indoor spaces and we didn't spend nearly as much time indoors previously um even for example in in china um most families are very used to the fact um of opening windows every day like they want to bring in the fresh air obviously now we have the pm 2.5 issue but previously the idea was you want to dilute the air you want to bring in the fresh air right because Indoor, um, there's an indoor buildup of potentially chemicals or other things, uh, if you don't know what's going on. So the the most simple way is just opening windows, bringing in fresh air, diluting everything. VOCs are not a problem outdoors because it's been completely diluted. It's just it's so diluted. It so it's all about how much of a dose you're getting, right? That's hmm. how it how you determine how much it affects you. And I know you guys are
0: you're really big on. On the, the quality of of the monitors in place. In fact, a lot of mm. going going through this process of of becoming the, the sort of accredited professional, a lot of it is like how good is your is the monitor and what grade is it and how is it deployed and where is it deployed and, and I found that going so deep into that was fascinating. But it then raises the questions like there's just this there's been this huge surge in let's call them um, consumer grade. Uh, monitors, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I'm standing here with one of these 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 Dyson uh, air cool fans that that constantly sends me readouts that don't seem to make much sense, and I can never quite work out what's going on. So, like, let's let's you know cut through all the marketing uh, talk, right? Like, realistically, these these consumer grade monitors and fans that we have on our desks or in our bedrooms. Is there any merit in that? Is there is there value in it? Are they, is it really just a, a marketing ploy? Or how do you see it from an insider perspective? Hmm.
1: Um, I think there's two different things to consider. One is the accuracy of the monitors. And then the second thing is, it really is about where it's placed. So for example, the Dyson one, right? And a lot of fil- like filtration, air filtration units, they have a monitor on it. The issue with that is it's only like the way air filtration works is it cleans the air around it first. And if the fan is not blowing hard enough, it's still only going to clean, you know, the closest air around it. So when I'm uh, recommending my friends to uh, uh, a solution for air quality at home, I ask, I tell them to buy a separate air quality monitor, put it on the opposite opposite end of the room uh, from the filter. And so that's how you do, to determine whether or not the air quality in the room is actually clean. If you're using the monitor, uh, if you put the monitor right next to the filter, most of the room is actually not at the level that you're expecting. So that's one thing. Consu- the other thing is consumer models are actually very good at giving you a basic trend of understanding like what's happening. The thing that they're not very good at um, is w- the accuracy between the units. So what we've seen a lot is if you buy... Um, five consumer units and you place them all next to each other, it's very possible that two of them are reading a little bit or quite a bit off from the other three. So it's not balanced in that way, but all of their trends are probably going to be very similar. So they're going to all peak at around the same time. They're all going to dip at around the same time, Um, but their numbers are not going to be quite that similar. That's that's something that we've seen. Um, So if you're in an office space where you're trying to Demonstrate that you are leveraging air quality for for either automation or you're trying to show that you have high quality data. You want to use something that is more consistent um, with numbers of reports. So that's why we've been doing testing. Our tests are really just asking manufacturers to give us five different monitors uh, of the same make, and we test it over three weeks to a month and see how they perform in different situations, and even even grade B ones that we've tested, multiples of them have failed the first test. And we have to send them back with a report telling them what's wrong. And then they have to um, fix the factory calibration process. So before it gets shipped, um, if it's not properly calibrated, properly stored uh, before shipping, then it's very possible that the numbers will just get wacky. Because sensors are not, they're not completely stable yet. So something we haven't mentioned thus far is just
0: is that the approach that the reset takes is very much more about, it seems to me, the destination than the journey. You're non-prescriptive. You're not saying you must do X, Y and Z in order to secure air quality. You're really focused on the quality of the monitors, how they're deployed, how they're maintained, how they're installed, where they're located. And then really it all goes into a cloud-based data storage system where you're constantly monitoring the quality of the air in the space. And your focus is very much on that, right? Rather than saying, well, you, you must, I don't know, use only natural materials in your space, or you must use this type of ventilation system. You've chosen to focus very much more on the, the data outputs, right? That's kind of your key differentiator.
1: You're completely correct. So um, we're based in China, like, or well, actually, I'm based in China right now um and so in china we have to take into consideration uh pm2.5 that's a a common issue um if you're in certain parts of europe if you're in a more rural area that might not be a that might not be something you need to care about so you don't need as many recirculation units that are filtering the air instead um well and and the other thing to think about is also like co2 levels there's no way to prescribe exactly what a space needs because the density of different offices are different. So if you're in a space, like if you're in an area where land is relatively cheap, you're going to have an office space that's significantly larger than um, a city center. So the way that you design your HVAC systems might be completely different. So instead of saying that you have to have a certain type of solution, we recommend that you have the data to figure out what is the most optimal solution for your kind of space? Because it doesn't make sense to spend so much money to have something that doesn't really make a difference. I'll give an example. In, in China, because of COVID, they had a rule where all HVAC systems had to run a, I think it was a hundred percent fresh air capacity. That means bringing in so much fresh air that there's not enough time to heat it uh, in the winter or like, um, to cool it in the summer. It's just, so it the indoor spaces feel very uncomfortable, but you got all the fresh air, right? And so that's not a proper solution for a situation like that. Instead, if you had CO2 monitors, you wouldn't understand how much fresh air to bring and so you can maintain a system that is more energy efficient and produces all the effects that you need. So that that's just an example. But um, our concept is if you have the data, you'd know how to create a solution for the project. So that might suggest
0: then that you would, so let's look at the the process then of of going through the reset air certification, because that might not necessarily involve uh, an MEP consultant, for example, if your data coming out within those three months is immediately good, right? So if everything's Mm -hmm. working fine, but so at what point might you expect like, what's the team? What's the resource going on? Like, how does that process go from from a, a project um, making a request to to become part of the of the standard and to take the certification? Like, who might they need on their team to to make that happen?
1: So, our recommendation is almost always start just by monitoring. Just one monitor in your space is better than having nothing because it gives you it first brings awareness to the air quality data because that's never been that's not something that's talked about. In, in the US, for example, ASHRAE doesn't have very much content around continuous monitoring. It's all spot testing, one-time test, and then what do you do with that data? That's the information they have. Um, so continuous monitoring, monitoring, using this data to figure out what to do, is still relatively new. Even if you bring in MEP experts, a lot of them don't know how to approach this exactly. That's, that's really the biggest issue that we're encountering right now. It's that, yes, you can get the data, you can monitor... But what do you do after that? If you have a good space and the air quality data is already good, it's it's not very complicated. You just get certified. You install the monitors. You go through the process, which includes three stages: um, the documentation, which is you you demonstrate you show where you're going to mo- install your monitors; the site audit, which is we verify that they're installed properly in the right place; and then the data audit, which is a is a continuous um, audit of the space. Forever. You get the certification after three months, but we need to continue tracking the project because if you stop, then we assume that something has happened and um, you lose the certification. So we're not one of those, um, we're not a one time certif- certification. It's more of an operate operational certification where we're tracking the whole time.
0: Yeah. And then, and then you get into, and then, you know, I can imagine oh, it, it, it might provide peace of mind, it might provide transparency for, uh, let's say, a commercial building owner, landlord who, through their facilities management, wants to communicate to their tenants that, look, we're doing every- everything's good, you've got good indoor air quality, There's- we have nothing to hide. Equally, it can raise an alarm, right? And, and at that point, mm-hmm. you can imagine the project then, whether it's MEP, or it might be that they have a materials issue, or there might be off gases going in. And so your data would be able to give some sense of where the problem is, right? Based on whether it's CO2, whether it's PM 2.5, PM 10, or some other point that's creating issues, right? So you'd be able to get pretty close to get sniffing out where the problem is.
1: Yeah, our best case studies, our best stories are all around um, how quickly people found out what the issue was. So I'll give two. One is a commercial interiors case, like a story. Um, there is a project that was that has that was um, passing every month, right? They've already got certified and everything, and all of a sudden one month they failed. They looked at the data and saw that on I think the sixteenth or seventeenth of a certain of a month, all of a sudden the TVOC uh, numbers went up and it stayed up. So TVOC if it spikes and then drops, not a big issue because perfumes, alcohol, all that stuff can affect uh, today's TVOC sensors. So Friday afternoons typically, um, a lot of offices will have a high spike of TVOC because it's happy hour. Um, but if TVOC goes up and it stays up, that means something just got installed that is permanently offgassing, a, like a significant amount of TVOC. So we looked in the data. We told, we helped, um, we asked the tenant, what did they install or add to the space on that day? And they found out that they installed a whiteboard um, and the glue used for the whiteboard was off-gassing tvoc heavily so they removed it they scraped off all the glue and then the tvoc went back to normal so that's an example of like having the data to figure out what went wrong um another example that was really was really good was um tvoc in a office building can affect other tenants because um a lot of the hvac systems are all connected so there's a there was a newer building in shanghai and they only allowed um construction teams to come in at night to work cuz some of the other spaces were already occupied um they noticed that on an on a certain afternoon that uh tvoc and pm2.5 were spiking on one of the floors they had um monitors in the hvac systems and so they sent a security guard over and they found two workers trying to catch up on some of the work that they had to do and then obviously they kicked them out but um they did this within half an hour of seeing the data spike so it's just it's little things like this it's if you first of all their team is starting to leverage the data which is something that they probably wouldn't have done before if they didn't have the data and um with the data you can make really quick response times you can solve a lot of issues
0: it's an important point to mention also the idea of, I know you, you, you actively promote uh, the communication of that data, right? You you, you mm-hmm. encourage like maybe having a display screen in reception so as, or, or by the elevator. So as people come in, they get some sense of where we're at on the day, right? So you really, the data isn't, managed and stored in your cloud and it stays there it's very much kind of this positive feedback loop right where it's constantly coming back through to each project that then communicates that to the the occupants themselves
1: mhm
0: i think that's key because there there is often that sense of you know things taking place at some strategic level but then the occupants maybe not engaging with it or or worse you know having an air, air quality monitor on their desk and and taking trying to take ownership of it, but it's poor data and it's, you know, it's just not, it's not reliable. Right. So you're trying to put a, yeah. like a building level system in place.
1: Yeah. Um, speaking of the the monitor on the desk, one of the first one of the impetuses for starting the standard or making the standard official was also um, a legal case where somebody said that uh, they brought a monitor into the office and said the air quality in this office is crap right? But then the office obviously had nothing in place to uh, fight back. They had no data. They had nothing that they could show, right? So they had to settle. But um, that's, by making it official, you're showcasing that you've installed monitors in um, the right places. They're not installed in some closet, which is still things that we see, um, where the data is faked. Um, And Having a third party verify it just means that everything is legit and above board.
0: I love it. Look, I'm, I'm a real fan. I really encourage people to to check out the cert. Um, an, an honest piece of info is that it's it's, it's very reasonably priced. It's not a prohibitive uh, cost, uh, whereas some of the other certs can can really come with quite a heavy price tag. And um, you know, I, I love the fact that you've uh, you've priced yours to make it much more accessible to a wider audience. I think that's I think that's key. Uh, and in a sense, it, it invites a longer-term relationship, which, which I think is also fundamental. So it raises the question: like, what's next? Like, what's coming in your in your pipeline over the next one to two years? What are you working on for the future?
1: Yeah. So um, the first thing that we're trying to do right now is to flesh out our suite of uh, standards. So we I mentioned that well, we're already doing air. I mentioned that we're going to be doing water, um, energy, and waste. Waste is interesting because It has been done before with continuous monitoring. Um, What we're imagining is to have um, IoT scales that will monitor how much weight gets uh, put into a trash bin. And then once that trash bin is lifted and the weight is removed, that gets stored into a system. So you're tracking how much waste is being generated every day from a weight perspective. Obviously, it's not a panacea. It doesn't give you all the right information, but it gives you a starting point to understand how much is being how much waste is getting created, and if you want to take it a step further, it would be separating the bins and tracking each bin separately. So, for example, a bin would be for recyclables, and um, another bin might be for organics. Every every region has their own kind of um, separation strategy, so we're not going to set one in stone, uh, but we're going to make it available that people can select different strat, like different uh, organization structures for this, and um, hopefully making this data visible will make it so that there's more awareness to how much waste is being generated. So that's the initial concept. Um, for all four of these, the long-term goal is to create a benchmarking system that allows you to compare projects between projects. So uh, we're w- in the long term, we're not looking at setting specific standards globally um, in terms of Uh, thresholds for what the data level should be. It's going to be probably something that's collaborative uh, with a local group. Because for example, let's just say air quality. Temperature and humidity is different for every region, right? If you're in the tropics versus if you're in um, a colder area, the numbers are going to be very different. So what you're targeting might be very different as well. You might not, like the optimal humidity and temperature might not be exactly the same for different areas. So we want to work with the local region to set the thresholds for that. Our focus will only be on making sure that you're collecting the right data or the the most accurate data. And so our focus for our standards will always be around that. Um, The other standard that we're going to be doing is materials. And again, our our MO, our focus is going to be on um, collecting data. So for materials, every project has a list of materials that is actually installed in the space. We want for every project in the future to have that list. And we start scoring that list based on how much information in regards to health or carbon or um, safety of each material is collected. So we're the scoring system is not necessarily going to be initially based on how good the material is. Because once you see it, you'll you'll realize whether or not it's good because that's the stuff you're installing into your space. Instead, we want you to do the research of the materials that you're aware of what you're actually putting into your space. So the scoring system is based on how much do you understand what's actually going in? Are you actually collecting the information? Do the materials that you select actually have any of the information that you're looking for? And materials that are actively trying to collect more information for these aspects will be... um, will be more noticed. So we want to incentivize materials to really care about um, the health aspect, the carbon aspect, um, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, so you're very much part of, of a wider infrastructure, which includes uh, product health certificates uh, or healthy environmental product declarations, things like that, right? So that, yeah, there's then that middleman that's sourcing the materials that have already been through that that rigorous process of of securing certifications for the for that individual product that then gets installed within a wider fit out with a green procurement policy that then secures uh, the right kind of standards for materials and indeed knock on effect air quality. So it's really this sort of right. Tetris puzzle, right? And you're sort of encouraging that that network of players to come together to do the work. To collaborate and then measure and monitor those results over time. Correct. I love it. I think it's it's great and it's exactly what we needed for the industry. I think you've got a yeah some amazing amazing growth years ahead of you. So best of luck. Congratulations with that. Where can people find you? What's the best way to reach out and follow along for all the work that Reset are doing?
1: So we're we're constantly updating our website. Um, the website is reset.build. R e s e t . b u i l d. There's no .com. .build is the end of it, um, and uh, that's probably the best way to follow us. Uh, we also have a newsletter. Um, so if you scroll down to the very bottom of the homepage of the web page, there will be a link. There will be a link to follow our newsletter. And if you have any questions, um, info at reset.build is the go-to email, and if you want to email me directly, it's stanton at reset.build.
0: Awesome, you've been very generous with your time. Thanks, thank you so much. Thank you
1: very much for having me, Matt.